If a player cleans his ball during play of a hole, except on the putting green, he shall incur a penalty of one stroke. That's a rule, Jerry. But it's just a friendly game. Why do you always have to be such a stickler? Because that's the way I was raised. Welcome to Spirit of the Game, brought to you by the Colorado Golf Association. Here are your hosts, Ed Mate and Lewis Harry. All right, it's time again. I can't believe another month has gone by. We're back here in the rules headquarters. This is Ed Mate. And Lewis Harry. For another edition of Spirit of the Game. Today, we are going to make this sweet, short and sweet, right to the point. Um, recently, this happened at uh, Riviera at the Genesis. Uh, uh, a very beloved player that we all, well, we all know, Jordan Spieth, was disqualified for signing an incorrect scorecard. Um, and, of course, there was an immediate reaction, uh, golf's dumbest rule. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how quickly we forget things. That was just a few weeks ago, and it already seems to have died out. I really thought this would gain a lot more uh, attention than it has so far. I think it's just a matter of time when this rule is completely unraveled. And so let's just start with the rule, and that's why you're here because I need a fact guy to get my facts right, because my facts are either uh, dated or just flat out wrong. So let's talk about the rule, the rules of golf as it relates to scoring and the player's responsibilities to um, turn in a correct scorecard. So walk us through just from the quick uh, 101 on that. Yeah, so obviously this is, we're referring to stroke play in, in this scenario. So um, there's no scorecard in match play. So anytime we're dealing with a scorecard, we're dealing with stroke play. Um, there there are some responsibilities that both the player and the player's marker have in stroke play. There's also some responsibilities that the committee has relating to the scorecard and stroke play. But in terms of the player, there, there's three. There's really three main checkboxes they have to make sure they complete their scorecard. They have to make sure that they have 18 hole-by-hole scores in the correct boxes that relate to the holes that they played. Um, so front nine, back nine, one by one. They have to make sure they attest their card. They have to make sure they sign it, and, they, and their marker has to sign it. And all three of those things is the player's responsibility to ensure that that is done correctly before the cards return to the committee. And in terms of the marker, again, they have to sign it, and the marker has to be doing their job throughout the round and making sure that those scores get on the card. But ultimately, it comes down to the player before they turn their card in to make sure that those scores are correct and accurate. So for sake of time, we will not get into the application of handicap strokes, um, the um, correctness of a handicap when it's um, incorrect on the card and who's responsible for that, whether a marker can be disqualified for an error. There's a lot of, as anything with the rules, there's always layers and layers and, and rabbit holes to go down. So to, for sake of today, I just really want to focus on the big picture. And in golf, let's talk about the purpose and the philosophy that's driving this whole conversation. And that is a golfer is responsible for the accuracy of their scorecard. This is the self-governance, self-policing, you know, one of the most um, important principles in golf and one of the most historic. And that is, and frankly, one of the ones that is most inconsistent with other sports where somebody outside of the contestants, Michael Jordan didn't call fouls on himself. 
Uh, Andre Agassi didn't call a ball in or out. Thank goodness John McEnroe didn't have to do that. It could have been, that would have been interesting. But in golf, you call penalties on yourself. So this principle is, doesn't just apply in the scoring area. It applies the entire round. And there's really two schools of thought on this. Um, and, there, and, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and obviously a lot of grays in between. But the, 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 the historic perspective is this is golf. Just like we talked about dropping and why we drop the ball, that, the, that there should be some randomness to where the ball comes to rest when a ball has been taken out of play and needs to be put back into play. The principle here is the golfer is responsible. Take responsibility for your actions. Uh, if a ball moves, you as the golfer might be the only one who saw it, apply the penalty. That's your job. And when you get to the scoring area, it's your job as a player to get the scorecard right. That's not the committee's responsibility. It's not your marker's responsibility. So in, in Jordan's case, his marker, whoever that was, wrote down a par on the par three, six hole, whatever it was, when he made a four. So the mistake was the marker's mistake, but it's Jordan's responsibility. So just because, and again, if our kids would say that's unfair, Jordan didn't make the mistake, well, that's the beauty of golf. Now, on the other side of this coin, there's those who will say, come on, this is so antiquated. The game has evolved to the point now where you have so much technology. We can see everything that went on. We can factually confirm that Jordan Spieth, what he did on that hole. Um, so why don't we just fix it? Why don't we just fix the error and move on without penalty? Why does it have to be a death penalty for an honest mistake that can easily be corrected? And why don't we have walking scorers in every group who's who, let's just shift this responsibility away from the player and put it in the hands of the, those conducting the competition, like any other sport. Um, so give me your general reaction to that. And then I have a, a, a follow-up question, but what is your general position on this? Is, is it time, is this truly golf's dumbest rule and should we change it so that the golfer, the contestant no longer has to turn in a scorecard? It's, it's uh, we know what they scored it's a, just get it right, PJ Tour, and be on with it. I don't think it's dumb, the golf's dumbest rule. Uh, I, I always hesitate to call anything a dumb rule because they're in there for a reason. Um, so I, I don't think it's a dumb, the dumbest rule or a dumb rule to begin with. I, I, it's hard to compare golf to other sports. I know people like to make the comparison to, well, you know, LeBron James isn't keeping his own points or – you know, uh, someone in a, a baseball dugout's not filling out a score a scoreboard or a scorecard. Um, it, it's hard because in all those other sports, there's one ball in play, and typically, there not every player on the playing surface is dealing with the ball with the ball in play. Across a golf course, there could be 128 balls in play at one time, and 128 players that have that, that are dealing with their own ball, and even with walking scores. You know, there could be a player on the left side of the hole and doing something. There could be a player on the right side of the hole doing something, and the walking scorer can't see both of those players at one single time. They don't know what they're doing. Walking scorer may not know if a drop was a penalty drop or a free drop. Um, yeah, I just it's. I think it's an integral part of the game, and it's an integral part of the game, especially at a level where you don't have walking scores and you don't have shot link, you don't have a camera on every single player. Um, it's. I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't agree with the discourse that, you know, it, it's time to change it. You know, we know what the player shot, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, I, I still think there's an important, the scorecard is an important piece 
to the round. Um, right. And, and in terms of shot link and walking scores, you know, they're not always getting it right. 99% of the time, a walking score is a volunteer, at least on the PGA Tour level. It's a volunteer, and they're not always getting it right. Um, there's probably countless times where over the radio they're calling into scoring central and saying, hey, can we get this fixed? This looks like it's wrong on the scores tablet. Let's get this fixed. So, you know, not, what you're seeing on your TV screen as the score isn't exactly always what the walking score is punched in themselves. Right. So there's just there's a lot of moving pieces. I think it's it's more in depth than just, well, let's just throw the scorecard away and, you know, go from there. Okay, so, so let, that's great. Um, so let's kind of approach it from a slightly different angle and not go all the way to the nuclear solution, which is get rid of the scorecard, have the committee, in this case, the PJ tour, we'll call it. Let's just focus on that since it's our situation we're, we're responding to is Jordan Spieth PJ tour. So let's take a, let's, let's peel back kind of the evolution of this just a little bit. So this rule has changed. It has been liberalized um, in the last several years. So in 2019, there were some changes, and this is where, again, I love having you here because I know we'll get the facts right. Um, and again, it's easy to, to, to blend and, and uh, maybe round, make some rounding errors and when things actually occurred. So let me take a stab at this, and then you can correct me. It used to be, um, and we'll, do, we'll go back in time to Tiger Woods. So Tiger Woods famously at, at the Masters, hit the flagstick, his ball went into the penalty area, known then as a hazard in front of 15. Uh, he confused his uh, dropping options and ended up dropping in a wrong place. Um, the result was a two-stroke penalty. And this is pre-2019. He signed the scorecard with the failing to apply that two-stroke penalty because he it was for a rules breach that he was unaware of. The committee at the time had to basically really interpret what was then Rule 33 in the committee's uh, authorities to not disqualify Tiger Woods because the rules at the time, this was quite a controversy because they thought they were making an exception to a rule because he was Tiger Woods. The rules don't apply to Tiger. And And I think that was a fair criticism because the rules at the time said if you sign for a score lower than what you make, and if that difference was a result of penalties that you were unaware you incurred, you are still disqualified. There was no get out of jail for that mistake. And this is where I need your help. My understanding is now that is no longer the case. There is now a, a provision in the rule where the player will get the two strokes plus an additional two for their error. So in that case, Tiger would have gotten a four-stroke penalty, but he would not have been disqualified. And I may not be right on that. So I, I think that was the case from so that was that Masters was 2013, correct? I don't I'm remember. remember right. Let's, let's just it was, call it. It was pre 2019. That's well, really yeah, what really matters. It, was, well, it does in this case. It does matter. Oh, okay. I think it was 2013 because from 2012 to 2015, that was the case. The committee could, the committee had some leeway in applying that rule, mm-hmm. and that's what they did. And then in 2016, I think that was taken. That decision was taken away. That piece of 33 was taken away in 2016. And then now you're getting the what you should have got plus the two strokes. Right. And as of 2019, it, it, we're now we're just failure to include an unknown penalty. And this is the same thing today. 
failure to include an unknown penalty that it doesn't come with a any additional penalty. So you just make the you just fix it. We're just going to add what you should have the penalty you should have gotten in the first place and go from there. Right. And we could go back to Lexi Thompson. Uh, Lexi, Lexi Thompson was the same thing. Right. It was, it, that's how she got to the four strokes. Right. Because she now it's coming back to me. You're right. Because there was a time and I remember she was one of the first examples of the new rule that allowed her not to be disqualified. Because I remember saying, four-stroke penalty, that's crazy. And I said, well, it's a good thing it wasn't last year because she would have been disqualified. Yeah, it was 2016 through 2018 okay. was that, when, when that applied. Right. I tend to think that all rules changes came in 2019, and that's not true. They were evolving all the time. Okay, so the, the moral of that story is that the rulemakers saw a chance to liberalize, soften, be a little bit more flexible. So that if you make a mistake, rather than saying, you're your own referee out there, if you fail to apply penalty strokes and because you didn't know the rules, you're gone. That's your job. You didn't do your job. Now we're saying, okay, you don't have to know all the rules. There's times when you may have made an honest mistake. You didn't cheat. You made an honest mistake. You didn't apply a penalty that you didn't know you had. So we're going to let you keep playing golf. So the point there is, is that the first step on a slippery slope down to what we talked about where we completely remove player responsibility? Uh, or is it simply, do you think we're going to settle in where we are now and we've got it pretty much right at this moment? Yeah, I, I think it, all, it ultimately comes back to, and there's a lot of places in the rules that already use what we call reasonable judgment. You know, when you're trying to determine the where a ball across the penalty area. Mm-hmm. You just I just to, watched your rules video on that today. Trying to yeah. de- trying to determine you know rep- where where to replace a golf ball. There's a lot of things that require reasonable judgment, or the rules accept the player's reasonable judgment in this case. And ultimately, it's gonna keep. I think it's gonna keep evolving to where as long as the player is using reasonable judgment to get it right, mm-hmm. then the rules are gonna accept that. Now, again, we still have to count in that there might be some times that even though we're, we're doing the best we can, ultimately it's still going to have to try and be correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the case of Jordan Spieth and signing the lower score, there's no doubt in my mind that Jordan Spieth, he was, he ultimately thought he had a correct scorecard, you know, whether he didn't do his due diligence or, you know, didn't do any double checking or whatever the case was before, that card made its way into the hands of the committee. I, I do believe that Jordan Spieth tried his, well, not tried his best. He could have tried harder. <laughs> but he, he ultimately thought he had a correct scorecard, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as long as we're going to get to a point where as long as the player is doing their best to ensure that they have a correct scorecard, I think we're going to get to a point where the committee is going to accept that. Now, again, back to Jordan Spieth with the lower score that's not going to be something the committee is going to accept and going to let slide, right? We can't just have players writing lower scores all over the place and we're just going to accept those lower scores because mm-hmm. then what would be the point of playing the round? Right. Like I could just pre-fill in my scorecard, pass it to the committee. Okay, here's the best I could, here's the best I did. And then we're going to just fix everything for you. Right. So we've already seen it start to move friendlier and friendlier and friendlier along the lines of what a player is required to do before they turn that scorecard in. We even see it really friendly now with a new model local rule that if there's any two, two of the signatures or, you know, whether it's the player's signature, the marker's signature, or both 
signatures that got failed to be put on the scorecard. If we have a model local rule in place, we're not going to disqualify that player anymore. We're just going to give him a two-stroke penalty to the last hole and move on. So I think I, I could see something along these lines moving towards a model local rule in the future to, 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 to get rid of the disqualification penalty to this scorecard rule. Yeah, um, there is a lot here. I think, and, I th- and, you know. I, I'll preface this. I think the disqualification penalty will still exist as the rule. I think there will be more chances in the future to alter that penalty with a model local right. rule. Right, and the and the model local rule probably will become, you know, the default for eventually. For, I yeah. think that's what has become. A lot of model local rules have started there, right. and then have worked their way into the rules right. eventually. Right. Um, so staying again with scoring, I wrote my monthly article on this topic, and the, hence the reason we're pursuing it here a little more in depth. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding around when a scorecard is official. And I've, I've seen this in, um, and I wrote about this, um, one of the more memorable ones, but, um, Lee, my, my main point here is that you are only the hard bright light test of when a scorecard is turned in is when you leave physically leave the scoring area, not when you sign it, not when you hand it over to the committee, it's when you actually depart. Um, and as a result of this, as a committee, you're not doing a very good job if you don't define the scoring area very clearly. It seems to me that on the PJ Tour, many times, if you know, the default is a trailer of some sort that's in the parking lot, and that's pretty clear. The door is closed. You're gone. Um, but again, when I've been in the scoring areas, I've seen a lot of players not sign it, hand it over, and say, please check this. You confirm it, and then they sign it. The signature, again, it has no bearing on the officialness. It ultimately needs to be signed. And I just learned something, by the way. I didn't realize there was a local rule available. Is that new this year? Last year. That I can now waive the disqualification penalty for a failure to sign. Lee Trevino, the way the word, you know, the story about Lee Trevino is he was disqualified once for not signing a scorecard. So on every tee from that point forward, whenever he was handed his scorecard, or even if it was handed to his marker, he would intervene, take it, sign it, and hand it back to the marker. So I am never going to not sign the scorecard again. That was part of his first tee ritual because he knew that's not – that's just – I'm just never going to make that mistake again. So that's one of the three I, things. I, I yeah. wouldn't do that. that. That seems like it could come back to bite you in a way you might not want Well, to I don't know, but that was, that was his way. Just like somebody who said, I played a wrong ball once. Once. I'll never do that again. Robert Polk is a result. If Robert's listening, which he might be. He's a, he's a big fan. He would mark. He still does. Marks his balls in a way that there's no way he could play a wrong ball, and it meticulously marks them in n- numerous hemispheres uh, to make sure that doesn't happen. So, um, I guess you know, I, I, the other part of this that uh, that I'm going to just try to make a make a case for um, is you don't verify a card until the very end of the round. Why is that? And why couldn't we, and I know there's some practical reasons, but in the day and age of electronic, mobile scoring, mobile apps, why couldn't we require, and I'll use that lightly, players to verify their scores at the end of every hole? I promise you, if Jordan Spieth had verified with his marker at the end of the hole, he would have gotten it right. And, and it's, it's a trap for the players. And that's why at the end of the round, they spend so much time in the scoring area pulling their hair out. And that's why they have all these little doubt checks and double checks. 
just ask me what I scored right as the hole finishes. We're going to get it right. Click, done. Now at the end of the round, and I said click to make a point that this is electronic because, you know, then it's, you know, again, it can get, you could fat finger it. It could get in wrong. You get to the end of the round. You've done that on 18 different times. I'm going to bet, notwithstanding people's technological inabilities, fat fingering, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, there's going to be no difference between what what they have there on those 18 holes, hole by holes, and what was actually scored. I think you would reduce the opportunities for this exponentially. Why can't we do that? I'll, I, I'll give you two, not two reasons, but two things to throw out. One, like there's nothing stopping you from doing that now, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's obviously you're not signing anything after each hole. Yeah, and I have a, go there's ahead. I'm going to let you make your other point before I respond to that one. Go ahead. Yeah, there's nothing stopping you from just checking sure. after each hole now. There is. Go ahead. All right. I have two a different is, view of that. But. Two is what if you have a second golf ball situation that you don't know what the score is going to be until you get to the committee? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll take the second one first. Happens so infrequently, and you just have a way to deal with it. You just have – there's a way to pass, yeah. and you just remember – that happens very infre- very it's very unusual. So I don't think that's a reason the outlier shouldn't drive the drive the the solution or the opportunity well, for a solution. Then I'll, I'll cut you off even more. How how many wrong how many disqualification penalties have we had from scorecards in the last three years on the PGA Tour? And couldn't we call for all the right scorecards that have been signed on the PGA Tour? Couldn't we call those outliers? Well, true. And we're now true. letting the outlier drive this conversation. Well, I think the, the problem, the reason the outlier is worth worthy, the, the infrequency of this is the penalty is so severe. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a again, Jordan Spieth, Riviera, Genesis, first round, second round, cut, no cut. All right, U.S. Open, the Masters, uh, Roberto DiVincenzo, Lexi Thompson doesn't win a major because of a scoring snafu the consequences are so high and the amount of time it takes to get the scorecard right and the stress level in scoring areas as a result it takes a it takes a lot of effort on the part of everybody when i think you could absolutely shift that effort and make it real time and so that would be that i would respond to that as far as the first point you could do that now true but it would take – it's like one thing you can do now is you can time your ball searches. You can do that. How many people do that? Zero. That's another thing in the rules we need to change or another habit, not in the rules. The rule is there. That's another habit we need to change, just like backstopping. Backstopping had become a problem. The rules didn't get rewritten. They just were able to communicate to players, to cut it out. So I would love to see – and again, this is where I get deep into my vision of what I call the pace of play paradigm, is you pair, and this is not a PJ Tour thing. This is a state association, local level, local state club championships kind of thing. You now have the capability, thanks to Golf Genius and others, but primarily Golf Genius, to do hole-by-hole real-time scoring. It's, it's, it's a great feature. So the committee, and this is my dream, requires – that scores be entered at the end of every hole. The way we know that is they're time-stamped. And you tell the players there's two reasons you're required to enter the score at the end of the hole. Well, number one, we want to make sure it's correct, and we don't want you to be disqualified. 
Number two, that entry is a timestamp, and it lets us know what time you were finished with every hole. So now we have real-time data that we can see how is our pace of play on the golf course. I'm learning a lot about this because there's another, uh, there's a free ad here for Tag Marshall, who we're going to be using this year at Common Ground for pace of play monitoring. It's really more for, it could be used at a tournament, but more for casual golf. So the technology is now there to really put the, put the scores in, make sure they're correct at the end of every hole, and timestamp them. So you're really killing two birds with one stone. You're making sure the scores are accurate. You're also adding more pace of play information. That's my dream. And then at the end of the round, final point, you have an opportunity to hit submit. So the round is unofficial when you finish because people say, well, what if I made a mistake? And the guy ran to the bathroom and I don't know what he, he, he wasn't, didn't put it in. The end of the round, you hit submit. And you've done this a lot. You sat at the scoring area, particularly during COVID, and no scorecards were issued. And the players get in, and other than they're in, not being familiar with it, it's pretty cool to see. When they see a yellow box, and that's where there's a discrepancy between what was entered on the golf course and what is now living on that computer or what they think they scored, you just fix the glitch. And it's it, to me, it's a... Um, uh, it, it's a far superior way to go. And I promise you, final, final, final point, the next generation, they're not going to want a scorecard. The kids that are playing junior golf right now, AJGA is all electronic now. Scorecards are a thing of the past in the junior world. And I don't think they're going to be asking for them to come back someday. Well, I think you partly answered your own question there. So, Well, that's if that's the case, I could I could do these alone. No, that's no. What do you mean? I don't even know what I said, much less what I answered. <laughs> Any response? Come on, you got to have a reaction. No, I mean, I, it's no fun if you just are you agreeing with me? Is that sounds like you? You're right, Ed. You're a genius. I, I agree. Or Ed, you're the biggest moron in the world. Which, I agree that electronic is going to be further and further widely accepted. Mm-hmm. Across all forms of play, yeah, um, and, and I mean even at our level, yeah, we've been using electronic scoring and electronic scorecards for I don't know how many years, four or five years now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be further. You're going to see it far and wide across junior golf, amateur golf, lower level professional golf. I think it's going to take a long, long time before it gets to the PGA Tour as the primary scorecard. If it ever does, I don't know. Yet to be seen. Uh, and I do agree that when you have electronic scoring, uh, the likelihood of a scorecard issue goes down. Uh, I don't think I have disqualified a player in the last four or five years for an electronic scorecard issue. I've issued penalties now that we have the model local rule in place for failing to sign your scorecard. I have issued two penalties for players who did forget to attest their scorecards. Um, one comes to mind as we wrap this up, as promised, and it's going to be a short one. Um, the Colorado Open. Well, yeah, I was more thinking on the CGA level, but the, okay. Colorado, the Colorado Open there. But we're back to then paper scorecards with this issue. Right. We're more referring to an electronic scorecard here. Right. So. And again, the one at the Colorado Open, just just so people know what we were referring to, was a was a score. Was a that one you could say was a committee error. I guess, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot there, but basically the, the, uh, error was a result of sloppiness, both by the player and on, on the, on, I think on the committee, 
which in this case, own your mistakes, was the CGA, um, where scores were being entered on the golf course and what is the platform that Colorado Open uses is Blue Golf. And there was an assumption that the scores that were populated into Blue Golf based on what those entries, those were being done by volunteers every three holes. And when the scorecard got handed in, rather than looking at the screen, the addition or whatever, the verification was done sort of offline. I don't know exactly what happened, but basically the, the la- was it the last hole was blank or there was a... 17 or 18. Yeah, there was a hole that was blank. missing. There was a score that was missing. Um, so anyway, um, and to me, again, that points to... That just further validates my point that if you only have one input electronic, it, it, when you go to two inputs, I think you're creating a real... You just that's just more opportunity for error because you have the input going on on the golf course, a lot of fingers in the pie, and then the input happening at the very end, which is the official. So anyway, I think uh, we've accomplished what I set out to do today. We, we introduced the topic, you know, as far as I'm concerned, to answer the, the million-dollar question, is this golf's dumbest rule? No, it's not. Um, coming in today and after seeing what happened to Jordan Spieth, when I saw – and those are not my words, those are – kind of the Twitter world or the X world and people in uh, the proverbial social mediaites saying this is the golf's dumbest rule I've ever seen and I can't believe it. I was pleasantly surprised at how well Jordan Spieth took it. He did not, he did not blame anyone. And that's probably the biggest takeaway here. I love the fact that golf continues to hold on to this principle of take responsibility. We're living in a day when it seems like and I, I'm guilty of this. I mean, I, I just think we train our children not to take responsibility, blame somebody else. It's not my fault. It's unfair. So for Jordan Spieth to say, that was on me, uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. All right. We agreed on something to wrap up here. Sure. We'll do it again next month. What do you say? All right. Sounds good. All right. Ed made out. Lewis Harry out.